Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome in to Mining Stock Daily. Your host, Trevor Hall here. Happy to welcome in a returning guest uh, from Meridian Mining. It's the chairman of that company, Mr. Gilbert Clark. Meridian Mining is a sponsor of the podcast. They do trade on the TSX Venture with MNO and on the OTCQB with MRRDF. Uh, Gilbert, it's been a little while since we've had you on the show. You know, through the summer, you were on quite frequently, but then things a little took a break. But I mean, all for the best. Uh, because there was a lot of drill results that have been put out. Uh, you've closed a financing. And also, well, this morning, for lack of a better term, you put out some core porn out there on the Twitter sphere. And uh, MinTwit just really, really ate it up. I mean, it's really incredibly beautiful core that you showed. I mean, tell us, you know, what, what, what we can see the visible goal. There's a lot of, uh, you know, beautiful mineralization in there. Uh, from what I can tell, I mean, this thing looks like it might have a little bit more gold than previous intercepts. Yeah, it, it, it was in a zone of about, um, sorry, first, uh, thanks for having me on, Trevor. <laughs> oh, apologies. Should have gone with that. You're first, all right. <laughs> yeah. When we, um, we were, when we first started getting this high grade gold coming through from, um, uh, Crew holes 46, 49, 54. Um, it, it was really great that you know the information that we got from the advisory board about this structural uh, gold truncating the VMS sequence was it was never going to be seen by the vertical drilling because it's sub-vertical. So we've come through with this angled drill program, and it it's just it's delivering what you expect to see in any gold province you know you you see variation in gold grade but this one was quite interesting because what i wanted to show in the video if, if we look people can look careful that we've put onto our twitter feed you see how it's the core uh, the quartz vein is at a the edges of it you can see truncate the vms structure and this is what i really want to get for everyone this is within the vms copper gold sequence but these are high grade feeder systems so sorry high grade um uh veins that truncate it which are either a later stage uh, event so unlike in the cabosal mine where those veins were partially mined um, they took out some eight hundred thousand tons of them what we have here is we're forming another feeder zone this is what we're seeing a lot of sulfides a lot, a lot of charcoal pyrite coming through which is the mineral for copper um and then we've got this very high grade gold feature coming through. So that's, you know, it could be the same. It could exceed the, the original mineral endowment of the gold feature at, at Cabasal, the mine. But when you look at this sort of uh, from a satellite view, it's all pointing down to this Cabasal West, which is this big conductor. So we're seeing this expansion of our open pit potential, perfect geometry. And we've got the upside, the further upside of the underground, the down plunge extensions to these feeder systems. And we noted in the release that um, we were seeing stratiform carbonate mineralization, mineralized, and this is your atypical exhalative dome that hosts massive sulfides and VMS systems. And that's just sort of, what is it, 6%, that's within an area that equates, I think, about 6% of our strike. And we know that VMS systems are multiple, multiple occurrences of hydrothermal vents. So when you look at, say, the Alamo project, which is about 20 kilometres to the southeast, that's a four-kilometre trend. 
we're, we're dealing with a two kilometer trend it's highly endowed and we've still got multiple kilometers to to expand upon in the future yeah. but you know really that that goal was certainly by a factor richer than any of the visible gold that we've seen to date on the project one of the th- things that that you highlighted in the news release this morning was the results from this borehole electromagnetic survey in mm. hole 66 uh you know I, again like we you and I have talked about the use of this BHEM survey in the past and it's been really positive for you but the results coming out of this hole 66 you noted it detected the strongest conductor to date at 680 Siemens. I don't know exactly what that means. However, you really say this is the highest conductor. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, we, we've intercepted zones of, you know, 10, 15%, sorry, 10 or 15 metres going 4 5% copper equivalent uh, in the Cabasal mine itself. And that will only go 50, 60 Siemens of conductivity. And in that hole, as we, we noted in the, in the um, press release, we actually saw um, charcopyrite and, pyr- and pyrotite and svalorite within, within the con- tip of the conductor. So that's really interesting. So we think, okay, what's driving the growth of that conductor strength? Um, certainly the presence of charcopyrite is, is hugely positive for us. You know, that is the copper mineralisation. And we're, you know, we're seeing wisps of, of semi-massive veins in the drilling above it um so what you do is you, when you encounter this you're running your, your bhem EM, and it it was the first time we actually coupled the tool with the sulfites that were generating these the surface em and the airborne em so then that gives us a definitive vector okay now we can go and target definitively hey, this is our uh, extension out of the sulfides it's strengthening below us will now target that strengthened target it's about de-risking your project not sort of going wildcat drill holes we use the best technology to target our drill program so we decrease our risk and so when we go to deploy our investors capital we do it in the most de-risk manner possible and this has been a constant theme in all of the discussions i've had with all the groups like yourselves um what we do, we're equity managers. Then when we go to deploy the, our investors' capital, we do it in the lowest risk way to, to achieve the maximum upside. And, and this is what we're seeing now is, say, the, the big gold hits um, that we're getting now, these, these very strong gold veins. Um, we incorporated a, a group of advisors, the chief geologists, senior underground mine geologists, the guy who discovered the project, and holy, the very you know, experienced people to give us guidance on this project. And now it's just really start starting to pay dividends for our shareholders. Uh, talk to us about the guidance in new drill holes, because you, you mentioned in this news release mm. that you're, you're, you continue to focus this near surface mineralization, because that's obviously been very uh, successful for you. But there is additional upside you mentioned in the press release about going deeper at Cabasol West. How deep are we talking, and when do you start drilling those deeper targets? Oh, look, we're going to keep drilling those deeper targets. And there, so that one's, I think the conductor started at 380, and we're going to target the center of the duct, the conductor, which is sort of, I think, 500 meters below surface or 500 meter drill hole. So it'd probably be coming at about 460, 480, the target area. Don't quote me. I've, Adrian will kill me. Um, and 
so what it presents to us is this fantastic upside where we can develop open pit, potentially develop open pit resources and then integrate our development program with underground resources going, going forward. And this is just something, and that's just on one location. So we focus on that low capex, low opex scenario of open pit mining so that we can then integrate in the years to come the, these potentially high-grade underground shoots. It, it's something that a lot of juniors can't do because they've just got a little postage stamp. They think, okay, look, we'll just focus on this area. I was chatting to an, uh, an investor yesterday, and what we're looking at is this ability to present this industrialised program on, on a basin scale, a, a, not basin scale, a um, camp scale asset. And this is why I've been saying to the since right from the beginning, beginning since we acquired the project, we've actually acquired a mid-tier asset, and we're developing a mid-tier project. We're not a we're not a, a small cap company. I was I was chatting with another one of our. Uh, newsletter writers said we're currently going through being a resource development company and what we intend to do by mid next year is become a project development company and in a transaction sense i have to do that because of the the option agreement but if you're a, a mid-tier or maybe in a major copper producer and you're looking for multi-decade potential resources at low opex and potentially i've got to keep saying potentially because that's what the right. is, is i have to work under the 43101 but you know it presents the opportunity for a company to say look this project is going to produce cash flow for x decades to come because it's just a typical vms project they're not at the porphyries that pump out you know three four five hundred thousand tons of, of copper concentrate every year but these things just go for decades and i was looking at some of the comparative ones prior to the press release in canada you know 120 years production um 90 years production what is flim flon 108 million tons 90 years uh snow lake 65 million years producing Noranda, 85 years producing kurakuru district i think that's the one in japan 120 years of production and this is what VMS camps are like. They just right. keep going. First of all, they always start in the open pit. And they, after so many decades, they exhaust the open pit and they go underground. What we can do is by presenting high grade, high, potentially high grade opportunities like Cabasal West to integrate that into a production sense, into an industrialized investment. Yeah. It, it, I, I, I was in Sweden just a couple of weeks ago. We were kind of out looking towards the Belize in mind, big VMS underground oh, yeah. project, yeah. you know, and back in the nineties, we did a whole episode about this with Rodney Allen who mm. helped discover yeah. new deposits for them that not only changed the lifeline of the mine, but actually made it more economic. So once you get underground, I mean, really the world's your oyster there. To where you, oh, you, you don't really know exactly what's still to death right now you're continuing to work at surface a little bit underground if possible but we'll see how it goes now you you, you mentioned kind of the evolution here you're starting to put things mm. in pay in, in place you've had continued success with exploration um so here's my follow-up question obviously we are all familiar people listening to the show interested in in, in exploration and mining know the what the Lasan curve is now that happens to uh when you start going from exploration to more of a development that tends oh, to hurt the Lasan curve now some people call it bs some people live and die by it you know i think there's cases for both but given this cycle given this cycle how do you you know and looking into 2022 how do you compete with that Lasan curve 
Well, they say uh, the Lasson curve is interesting, and it, it, I think there's two ways to look at this 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 aspect. Um, you always see that highest valuation at the at the end of the curve when they go into production because that's when they've had all the de-risking, all the drill hole database has been created, the, the metallurgical database, and they've defined their upside. So what you're looking at is an increase in valuation with a decrease of, of your risk matrix. Now, new discovery, yep, you could probably follow that. But what we've said right from the start, and we really hark on this because it comes back to equity management, which I do for my shareholders, is I didn't start with this high risk scenario. I started with a very low risk scenario because I had all that development exploration, development and production data. So that really decreased my risk to the equivalent of a, of a, well, it was, it was a production scenario, but my equity valuation was very low. So all along the line of this growth of equities that we're seeing, my risk is not changing because I've always known it was there. Now what we're seeing is increased upside, defining, making compliant that upside. So the, the Lasson curve doesn't actually apply to this project because that's really a, a reflection of risk appetite. Okay, okay, we've got, you know, we've gotten to this point, I'm out. And then for our shareholders, because I do a lot of interaction with our shareholders, with the company shareholders, and it's about equities and saying, well, if you have a, a, an asset or a, a speculation can be influenced by cycles, but if you've got an asset, then if you're on the other side and trying to acquire that asset, you'd hope the, sh the shareholders aren't well informed. But we've always put out very detailed and frequent announcements and information to our shareholders to say that, okay, you can now make that decision. You can see your assets got a long way of equity growth to go ahead. And, and I mean, I think today we've got a, on a fully diluted, uh, underluted basis, I think we've got a market cap of some 160, 170 million Canadian dollars and I just see that as a fraction of the equity value of this company. It's, 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 these don't exist. And when I look at that gold, you know, what was the, what's the big impact of the gold that we're seeing in this project now? Well, you know, if we were to be able to define some, you know, three, four, five, four to 500,000 tons of this, and it's shallow, you know, the, the, and we can mine and extract and commercialize that quickly. Well, that could mean that instead of paying back Hypothetically, I'm going to say, of course, say hypothetically, it means I'm not, not going to be paying back the capex of a future project in three, four years. I might be paying back the capex in nine, 12 months. Mm -hmm. Now, what that then has effective, it increases your IRR, it materially influences your NBV, and you've got this enormous resource tail, which is the residual resources that you've got on your, resort, on your, on your mine. So there's all these factors coming into play now and in how um, the shareholders, the potential shareholders are valuing, okay, if I'm buying today at $1.20 or $1.15, I can't recall what we're trading at, I'm buying because I want it to expect this, that the equities to grow to be three, four, five dollars That's where I'm looking at my exit. And then the guys who come in at the 3 or $5 mark, they might be saying, look, we want to exit at six, seven, eight. I don't know what their yeah. matrix is. But what the benefit for our shareholders is we've got a board of very experienced people who think we actually know what these things are worth. And we also know what the worth of these projects are to the balance sheets of potential acquirers. Because I just get 
potentially net positive cash flow for many, many years to come. So knowing the worth of this project, knowing that the work you need to continue to put into it, let's transition. I got to ask you about this recent financing. You closed for just north of $10 million. You know, and in, 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 in knowing the project and in, in speaking with you for the most of the year, you know, it seems like you probably could have gone and raised more. I'm just curious why the $10 million, Why not more? Oh, look, if, if, if I'd just been a, a standard junior company, um, yeah, with a nice project, I probably could have gone out and raised 15 to $20 million. I would have had a, a half or maybe in a full warrant associated with it. It would have been broker warrants associated with that as well. So the overall dilution would have been pretty quite significant. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to manage that equity. And if it was coming into the market to say, look, we're going to do a, a, a capital raising with a half warrant, you could have had some mischief and people coming, oh, we're going to try and depress the stock, get a refinance, get repricing, and then we'll pick it, pick up our, our shares in, in, the, in the private placement or the broker placement. And that's, you can do that when you're a junior company with a speculative asset or a speculative project, but you actually got a material asset. And when I talked to a number of guys mm. prior to just in discussion, I said, this, this, this asset of Capicel, it, it's past that nonsense now. We're into real resource development and we opened the book and we closed the book 24 hours later. So all those people who were saying, oh, speculative trade, we're going to do this because we're going to warrant that the next morning they woke up and there was a, a note coming out from the lead. We worked with some great guys, the guys at Beacon and, and um, PI and Cormac and CIBC, great banks. And they were all the same. This project's past that nonsense. And we, we filled it within 24 hours, bang, done. And then we had the green sh- the shoe above that and we filled that with good long-term shareholders. So all these some of the funds that were sort of sitting on the side that we could a bit of play here and try and get to reprice it. Well, they're outside of it now. And if they want a position, they've got to go buy into the market and buy a position. Yeah. And that's what, you know, if you've got an asset, well, you buy, you buy into the asset because you can, you can understand that it's going to grow. The equities are going to grow. And we have an asset. We have an asset that's not a postage stamp within a belt or a series of tenements within a belt. We have the majority of the belt. And it's highly prospective and it's essentially unexplored and not unexplored, unexploited, all of our low-hanging fruits there. And some of it's like you saw in the video today is Mm. bloody high grade. So where does this leave the bank now? What's the purse? Um, I guess now we're seeing our cash on hand is probably just under 13 million Canadian. We've got another 5 million of in the money warrants. Um, I think now the first warrants are 10 times in the money. I think the 30 cent warrants are four times in the money. So um, they're, they're due to expire uh, December next year. So I think we'll make a big effort with that because we've got good shareholders. We, we've never seen, like on our free trading date, we've never seen a volume of money come out, a volume of shares come out. So we'll go to those shareholders and say, look, um, We'd love you to, to continue to support the company. Um, most of them are sort of well, sort of well, well educated now. Um, I don't think they'll see any need to sell their stock to exercise their warrants. They see it as an investment, not a trade. Um, and that will really cash us up again. So we're pretty well set for all of next year. Um, 
we'll look, we're looking to get our resource statement out, a first resource statement out sort of at, towards the end of second quarter, um, 2022. That's like, we've got three rigs on site, single shifting. We'll look to increase that to maybe four and then manage it up to have double shifts. This is all about your COVID management, of course, maintaining your health and safety. Um, and then look what we're up to, I think we're drilling hole 74 at the moment into the Cabasau Northwest extension. There could be another, we've defined about two kilometres from the southern, southeast Cabasau to the northwest. And we think there's potential for maybe another 300 metres past where we're drilling now. Um, and certainly there's, we see some, we've announced this previously about there's geophysical high conductors, um, Cabasau type conductors, and they stretch another 500 metres past the southern limit. So we, it's it's a really interesting project. Um, I encourage people to invest. We, we are very strict equity managers. You can see by this that we raise money at a very good price, non-dilutive for us, not too dilutive for our shareholders. Very, I mean, I think in the day it's 14 million shares. So it was just over 10% dilution. Um, and there's no warrants to come out. And, and we're working with a great set of bankers now. Um, I've, I've worked with uh, the CIBC guys I worked with for since when I was with the fund and the guys with Beacon, PI and, Ken, and Cormark. Um, and I've also worked with a really good broker out of, um, of group, great sort of brokers out of um, Haywood, of course, they've been with us since the start and a good guy in, in, um, in Canaccord. So we're really starting to get that uh, following within the banks. Okay, this is something that our institutional clients or a high net worth rush a normal uh, retail shareholder should get a, an interest in. Yeah. Gilbert, uh, you have mentioned a little bit about managing equity on your side, and I think that's a really fascinating topic. Unfortunately, I don't think we can talk about it today, but I will we can talk about it next time. Next time. <laughs> in fact, actually, uh, I, I think you and I will actually be potentially face-to-face -face in London the first week of December for Minds and Money. Ah, oh, definitely. So yeah, definitely. let's uh, let's let's make sure that you and I actually do this in person uh, yeah, when, yeah, when no, that happens. Would. And I do want to talk to you about your approach to equity management and what you mm. do differently than, say, a lot of other early stage juniors and explorers, and where the disconnect is. I think it's going to be a really powerful conversation. I think one of the one things I'd lead on that is all of the board members. We didn't get gifted seed stock, one cent stock, we've all bought via private placement, conversion of warrants or buying on market, we've all bought our equity. So we're not only managing our shareholders equity, we're managing our equity. And that's a, one of the, some of the fundamental differences you see in some of these seed stock companies. They get given their 10, 15% for NICs basically. Yeah. So we might, we're not only managing our own, your equity, our shareholders equity, we're, we're ensuring that our interests are like, like our shareholders We've had to write a check. To be continued. Okay, great. All right. Thanks, Trevor. Yeah, thanks, Gilbert. Gilbert Clark, chairman of Meridian Mining. Again, trading on the TSX Venture with MNO and on the OTCQB with MRRDF. I will also conclude by letting you all know that I do own shares in the company. And so I'm obviously a little bit biased. Uh, we'll be taking a short break and we'll be back here with another corporate update in just a little while. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. 
Please do your own research or speak to a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.